0: You are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best and in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. It's up to mm-hmm. me to be the very best I can be. And it's up to
1: Up to be magazine show the up to be magazine show is your inspirational go-to platform for behind the scenes with industry professionals and talent in christian entertainment and successful small businesses Join us today as our guest will be author, producer, and CEO, Mr. Neil Beller of Kit and Caboodle Productions. I'm your host, Gabby G, because I was born with the gift of gab, a trait that each of my friends and family can all attest to. So please join me in my virtual Gabby G Cafe. And be inspired along with me as I introduce to you each morning another fabulous guest to inspire and educate you. Each week, I will welcome our guest and invite you to join me in conversations on diverse topics that relate to our journeys in awakening and living in our life purpose. I'm blessed and humbled to be a part of this Christ-led team, and I do not take this opportunity to serve as your host for granted. Here at Up To Me Magazine, we love to encourage and empower each other to be the best that we can be, so this program is truly meant to be a platform of voices to be heard and expressed in a safe and non-judgmental environment. As a reminder, Up To Me Radio can be found on iHeartRadio, Alexa, Google Play Music, as well as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Join our nearly two million listeners in uploading any one of these apps on your mobile or Android devices or any one of your favorite podcast apps. On social media, UpToMe Radio can also be found on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram. Whether you're a new listener this season or a loyal present listener to this program, you now have the ability to be a subscriber to the Up to Me magazine show. Simply go to our website at wwwupthenumber 2 meradiocom and click on the show image to check out our latest events, hot topics, tips, promotional giveaways, and more. Well, in the last few weeks of our new season, we've heard from off-Broadway technical lighting designer and technical director Tony Tynes and filmmakers Jim Ball and Julie Silcott with their film Order of Rights as part of my ongoing Entertainment Reimagined series post-pandemic. My very special guest this morning represents an award-winning production company, Kit and Caboodle Productions, based in Baltimore, Maryland. Kit and Caboodle Productions is an award-winning video production team specializing in corporate and industrial videos, television commercial, advertising and campaigns, web video production, creative design, copywriting and marketing strategies who help give great businesses who help great businesses become even greater with targeted strategies, creative design, and of course powerful video. Led by Emmy Award winning editor Neil Bellard Jr. Kate and Computal Productions works with an international client base as far away as Melbourne, Australia. Many of their clients have experienced over 25 years of reliable partnership and creative support. Their CEO is as creative off the cameras as he is in the editing room. He is the author of several books, including the popular cookbook, Cooking Without a Conscience, and his childhood inspired autobiography, Missing Pine Park. His life's work in video production and his latest creative venture post pandemic are the reasons I have brought him here to talk with us this morning. Please help give me a very warm virtual welcome to Mr. Neil Beller. Neil, good morning.
2: Good morning, Gabby G. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you.
1: Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to be here with us. I I really appreciate it. And this is really your second time here. So I just wanted to start by reintroducing you to our listeners. So the first thing I wanted to just kind of dive in here and and, um, talk about um, is to begin with your time after college. Did you have a degree in business or production management? Or what was your um, journey through college like?
2: I had actually a very interesting uh, college career. I went to three different colleges, and uh, my major was baseball. I had planned to be a professional baseball player, and so I just kept transferring around until I found the right niche. And uh, and I got pretty far, but uh, I never made the so-called show. But while I was in college, in my mind, I thought when my professional baseball career was over, I'd get into broadcasting. You know, you hear these guys up in the play-by-play booth or on television. So in my mind, I thought that's where I would end up. So I started taking all these production classes. And I ended up graduating from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, or UMBC. And they had a program at the time. It was called um, Option 2, which was a program. Now they call it Interdisciplinary Studies, where you create your own major. And so my major, I have a... BA in television production slash audio media. And while I was there, I was on the, their radio station. I was sports director, and I had my own show. And so I had all different a, the facets of uh, broadcasting from television and radio, and then I ended up uh, working at some television stations, and Hollywood ended up starting my own business. So um, my college career was very interesting because it was I was laying bricks for something else I was going to do and then fell into this.
1: Wow. I, you know what? I didn't. I knew that you played baseball, and I knew you went to fantasy camp <laughs> for baseball. Yeah. yeah, for the Orioles. And I, and I also know that you, didn't you get to throw out the pitch? You had a uniform with your name on it. And that's pretty cool. Oh, what that, was that a- w-
2: yeah, one of the things that I ended up going, this was later in life, I went to Orioles fantasy camp for, uh, I went three different times in 2003, 2005, 2007. And it is one of the most amazing things you could ever do. Because it's your fantasy. And so you literally get to play baseball with all the people you idolized growing up. It was, you know, Earl Weaver, Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson, all these tremendous Orioles who are all in the Hall of Fame. I was playing baseball with them. And they, they, you know, they give you uniforms with your name on it and a locker, and and you you just hang out with these guys for an entire week. It's the most amazing thing I ever accomplished. So that is. That's where my major league baseball career ended is playing with uh, the people I grew up idolizing. And uh, But during this uh, fantasy camp, which is normally in February, um, right before spring training starts, later in the year, like in June, when the Orioles are on a road trip out of town, you get to play a game at Camden Yards. So you get to play a game where they actually play, and that's where there's pictures of me pitching and um, you know, fielding and and obviously hitting, and uh, that that is just a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience. And it, you get baseball cards that you know your pictures are on it. And you, I used to hand them out as business cards, and uh, oh boy, yeah, that's that that was my one big dream. That's awesome
1: to be able to do that. And actually, I really you're you're probably one of the few people I know that has accomplished and experienced. Um, everything they ever set out to do in life. So, and, you know, you've had, so let's talk about um, your your radio show first. Um, you were, with, were you co-hosting with Sherry Ellicott on WBAL yes. radio? And that's that where you correct. did your Ask Natalie show, correct?
2: That is correct, yes. Came up with the uh, idea for Ask Natalie. And that was also uh, a mistake. You know, it's always funny. You always hear about things like, you know, hard pretzels, <laughs> they were a mistake A Baker fell asleep and he, he thought he burnt the pretzels, but then somebody loved them. And then of course, you know, we eat millions of pounds of those a year. And uh, I was just setting up some audio equipment and uh, my five-year-old daughter was like, what is, what is that? And I explained to her and, and she says, can I try it? So I, I interviewed her. And the, the answers that a precocious five-year-old spit out were it was just, I had gold in a bottle. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we got to run with this. So I just started interviewing her every week about everything from offshore offshore drilling to, um, you know, climate change to all these different things. And to hear what a five-year-old thinks is is just fascinating. And she ended up winning two Associated Press Awards. And at one point they said she was the youngest news correspondent in the nation. She came in second (laughs) for an Er Edward R. Murrow Award. And ironically, she is now in college at UNBC majoring in communication. How about that? Life imitates yeah, art, so, doesn't it? Yeah, there you go. There you go. So uh yeah, that was uh and that was a big thing that uh was by accident, but we ran with that for about three years. That F Natalie was a huge uh huge success for them.
1: So how did you start was this post um post W J Z? Because I know yeah. you also that was post WJZ. So let's go back. Let's go rewind a little bit and go back from after you've gradu- or left college, and then you work for a major television station, WJZ in Baltimore. So tell us about that experience. How did you break into the television industry, and what role did you have with
2: them? Well, the the I had a I had a degree in television, and it was very difficult to find a job in in television at that time when I, I graduated, and so. I was working for a DJ company doing weddings and, um, you know, parties and bars and, and bar mitzvahs and things like that, and uh, they started videotaping these events, and so I started talking to the cameraman and and uh, found out that was interesting, and one of the cameramen's father was Jack Smith, who at the time was the director of the Maryland Film Commission, and so I became friends with him, and I started getting some jobs as a production assistant, a PA, and uh, on some uh, shoots that were coming in from out of town, and, uh, and I have just found it super, super interesting. And um, I actually lied my way into my first production job at a facility. I worked at a place called Spicer Productions for uh, a few years, and um, I knew that they were looking for, a. at the time it was called an E2, an assistant editor, And so I found out what an assistant editor needed to do. And in these days, it was all analog, and it was all reel-to-reel tape. There was no digital. There was no cassettes or cartridges or anything like that. And so they told me that I would need to know about waveform monitors and vector scopes and how to set up machines and color bars and tone and all these things that were just third-world country terms to me. I had no idea what they were. So I went to this friend of mine. I went to a friend of mine an hour and a half before my interview with the owner and said, you have 45 minutes to teach me everything you know about vector scopes and waveform monitors and color bars. And so he's looking at me like I'm out of my mind. And he was just pointing things out and saying, okay, the, you know, the signal 7.5 microfarads wide, and this is your front porch, and this is your back door. And this is, and he just was pointing stuff out that to me were buzzwords. So, I walk in the door. I shake the owner's hand. He walks me right back to a, a vector scope. Turns it on and says, "What do you know about vector scopes?"
0: Oh I'm like, my! Oh my god! Well,
2: it's there's your front porch. there's your back door. seven and a half microfarads. I didn't even know what I was saying. And he turns and he says, "Oh my gosh, you know more than most people." I'm hiring you on the <laughs> spot. So, so then I'm like, you know, are there any manuals or anything I can look at? And I I took home like twelve manuals and just read them all weekend trying to just figure out what I was going to be doing on Monday morning and, and that's where it all started. So I, I worked there that's for
0: amazing.
2: several years and then I ended up going to uh WJZ TV and, um, I was editing a uh, TV show called Evening Magazine. With, oh, I uh, remember
1: Evening Magazine.
2: Yeah. Donna Hamilton and Steve Avison. Yeah. I was editing, I edited all that. And, and then from there, I, um, I moved to Hollywood, California and I uh, edited out there for several years and, um, Um, basically moving to Hollywood was because that is a production. That's the Mecca. That's where everybody wants to be. And then, you know, when you leave Hollywood and you have a good record, you could pretty much go anywhere in the world and say, well, I worked in Hollywood, California. And so, um, I did that and ended up moving to Carroll County, Maryland. (laughs) People were like, they're like, you left Hollywood for Carroll County, Maryland. And, uh, and that's when I, I started working at another big facility here in town, and this is when the digital revolution uh, started. And they brought me back, and I worked here for several years, and then, um, and then I started my own company in uh, 1997. And so it's, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, I've been on many, many uh, sides of production, from um, you know, news to uh, uh, shooting Broadway plays to major motion pictures. Um, I was a grip for um, It's a Few Good Men for several days in L.A. and uh, all kinds of other uh, commercials and, you know, who's who of famous people here and there. And it was a a tremendous, tremendous experience and journey. Unfortunately, the uh, Northridge earthquake happened while I was there, the Rodney Mm. King riots, and uh, it was a real mess. And um, I was missing Orioles and I was missing crabs, (laughs) you know, (laughs) me. On the on the East Coast, you forget, you know how spoiled we are. They didn't have steamed crabs in uh, California, and uh, you know grew up with that delicacy and Old Bay seasoning. They never even heard of Old Bay when I was out there. So, uh, yeah, I moved back for uh, baseball for the Orioles and uh, to work at this other facility, obviously in crabs. And um, um, uh, you know, I've been living in uh, Carroll County for about 20 26 years now, I think.
1: So when I had my short stint in L.A. myself, you know one of the reasons I came back was because they did crabs, world games, yep. my family, and tasty cakes. Can't get they're like, "What are tasty cakes?" And I said, "What do you mean what are tasty cakes?" You know, tasty cakes. They never tasty cakes.
2: It's funny you say that because there was other things. The one thing they, on the East Coast, we have subs. And the only yes. sub that they had out there were made at Subway, and they thought that Subway subs were subs. And I'm like, no, you go to a, you know an, a, an Italian place, you you know they pack thousands of pounds of meat on it, they pour oil, you know. I said, this is a sub, you know, and they never even heard of subs. And another thing you don't have out there are snowballs. No, no, yes. what a snowball! Said. I was like I could probably make a million dollars if I set up a snowball stand.
1: Yes, and that's, that's is, a Baltimore they, thing, Snowball. Yes. That's not even an East yeah. Coast thing. That's a Baltimore thing. It's uh, not like Italian ice. It's a completely different experience. It yep. is.
2: It's is, it, It's completely different. And um, it, and it's very interesting, too, because, you know, so many people in this day and age, they, they can't wait to grow up and move away. And yeah. you realize where your home is when that's you are a, away. Right. And, and I remember I was in an edit suite. And we were, I was working for the Golf Channel. And at the time, hopefully it isn't coming through now, I had a really bad Baltimore accent. And finally, we're like editing for like five or six hours. And this guy just says, he goes, wait a minute. He goes, where are you from? (laughs) And I said, oh, I'm from back east. And he goes, well, I'm from back east. And I go, really, where? And he goes, Phoenix. And I go, no. I said, East, you know, Phoenix was East of LA, but I was like, east, right. you know, the East coast. And he goes, well, who says like up there and over there mutter, <laughs> and my mother, my fodder. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's me. I guess, I, I guess I, I'm saying uh, that. And, and then I called my sister who at the time was working at channel 13. She's still there at WJZ. And I called her on the phone to ask her if I had an accent. And she went, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, that is a Baltimore thing. I sound horrible. I, and I had no idea how bad I sound. So I started telling this guy about where I grew up. And and I started telling him things like snowballs and crabs and you know how we used to pop tar bubbles with our toes and we'd walk on the street barefoot and yeah. the you know, yep. suburbia and all this type of stuff. I grew up in Kearney, Maryland, obviously you know that. And so um he got real excited about the East Coast. He's like, I wanna visit Kearney and he was so adamant and excited about it. I was like, Wow, here I'm in Hollywood and this guy wants to visit Kearney, Maryland. So uh, it, it, I really missed home because it was not just so I could come back and talk bad, but I, I, I just missed where I came from. And uh, that was one of the reasons I moved back and um, not, you know, not from the work or, you know, lack of work. I had plenty of work out there. But um, I, I just really wanted to make my life back here where I grew up. And, uh, you know, they always say you can't you – you, you, you can always go home.
1: You can always go home. Yep, that's a wonderful um, side story there, backstory. story, um, because actually, when you did come home, um, actually, I want to talk real quick about your book. Since we're, since we're on that subject, I was going to talk about mm-hmm. that in a second, but since we're on that subject, let's just go ahead and talk about uh, your book, Missing Pine Park, um, which was renowned in Maryland, in Baltimore, and... Um, so your book is actually a memoir of your growing up in Kearney, Maryland. And what inspired you to do that? Was it right after it you came act- back from LA or
2: it it actually was. It was that it was the conversation that I had in the edit suite with that guy and and he was so excited wow. about where I grew up and some of these stories and I thought, "Hmm, I I should I should look into this." So that year for Mother's Day, I made a map of our neighborhood. And I numbered it from 1 to 30. And I gave, I gave this to my mom. I numbered all over the area from 1 to 30 different places in the woods, in the Sullivan's backyard, whatever. Um, and then I gave her uh, papers that went along, and I wrote a paragraph or two about what each number represented. And I told my mom 30 things that I did that she never knew about. And <laughs> I'm sure she and probably and had it, a heart attack. Well, that, but then it went around the family as everybody was sharing it, and they were you know it was a big laughter thing and and my sister says, "You should expound on these stories, and you know you could write a book and and so I did, so I just i literally one afternoon, I remember I was just sitting on a bench and I just started writing down headlines of things that i I did you know when the dog bit me, and you know when I fell in the stream, when I did this, when I did that, when i um you know got fell down the stairs, and Dad punched a hole in the wall, and you know all these different things, and then I just started writing about them and uh ended up with uh missing Pine Park, which was the name of the park uh across the street from the house i, I grew up in and um that was a story in itself as we lived in it was that urban sprawl, and we had a thousand kids in a neighborhood and nowhere to play. And it was the best trick-or-treating on the planet. You know, there was you could play baseball in the street with 50 kids on, on a playing at the same time. And so across the street from our house was this creepy set of woods. And the county came and knocked down the woods and put in a park. And we were so excited. We were waiting for the the grass to grow, and they put in a flagpole, and they put in a couple toys. And they left at the very top of the park a pine tree that was naturally growing in the woods, and they just left it there. Well, that Christmas, the whole neighborhood got together, decorated the tree, put lights on it, and we were so excited that we were going to have a, a new park in the spring, and this was kind of like a representation of that. And we ran an extension cord to a neighbor's house. And I could see this tree from my bedroom window if I pressed my face into the window, of the corner of the window in just a certain way I could see the tree. And I used to watch it every night. And I was so excited about this park. Well, on Christmas Eve, some guy drives up with a pickup truck and a chainsaw and he cuts down the tree and he steals it. And the, Yes. The next day, we all went out in shock, and we're just looking at the stump. And I remember people crying because they made homemade decorations, and it was this horrible thing. Well, the county, in all its humor and wisdom, a couple months later came and hammered a giant sign in the in the in the top of the park, and it was called Missing Pine Park. No and kidding. That, yes, and so that is where I grew up, and everything. Uh, Crazy to Happen in My Life happened in Missing Pine Park or around it. And so that's what I called my memoir, Missing Pine Park. And I'm actually 48,000 words into my sequel for that book, which is called The Dish, which is what we used to call home plate. And so it's all my baseball stories from my youth all the way up to uh, coaching. So I'm, I'm very excited about that.
1: Well, the great thing about this book is, and this is what I encourage people to um go onto Amazon and you can get missing pine park is and especially if you've if you 've grown up in the era that we did in the sixties and seventies we're kind of um Dating yourselves here, but you'll yep. find yourself – it's very much like a Wonder Years type. Remember that TV show, The Wonder Years? Oh, it's my gosh, It's very much yeah. like that. It's reminiscent of like just the good old days and, and actually how simplistic life was for us and the joys that we found in the simplest things. Um, and it's really a joy to read and it's funny and it's lighthearted and, um, you know, in the times that we're living in, it's just a fun read and it'll make you laugh and it'll, it'll make you nostalgic for a simpler time. Um, it's really a beautiful book. And so I wanted to talk about that. It's, um, it's just a, it's just a great read and
2: it, uh, you're a well. very
1: talented writer.
2: I appreciate Um, that. Thank you. And and I've been told by people who didn't grow up near us, like in New Jersey and Connecticut, who've read the book and say, it sounds just like my neighborhood. I I recognize all of this. It's an era.
1: It's it's the era that we grew up in. And I think everybody can relate to it because of that. Um, they'll find themselves in their own neighborhood and thinking about their own neighborhood and and um, all the experiences they have with their friends and their and their parents' friends and um, their friends' parents and um, all that stuff. It's just it's just amazing. I don't want to give a lot of it away, but um, it's just a good read. Missing Pine Park and it's on Amazon. You can get that. Now we are going to take a short station break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about. Um, the kit and caboodle productions a little bit and then also about how this uh, pandemic has affected um, the production side of what you do. So uh, we're going to take a short station break and we'll, we'll be right back. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov/covid19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. And we're back with author CEO Neil Beller of Kit and Caboodle Productions. And so Neil, before the break, we talked about your early career a little bit and your book Missing Pine Park. And so now I want to talk about your Emmy award-winning production company, uh, Kit and Caboodle, And one of the main reasons that I wanted to bring you on is to talk about how the pandemic has affected the way you've had to do your business. I know that this is something that everyone in the industry has been impacted by. Impacted by. So um, I just wanted. Um, you to share your experience i know you've been with kit and caboodle for you created this company you said since 1997 you won Mm -hmm. emmy awards and you do video production so can you just first quickly tell us um what services kit and caboodle offers and then um and then we'll talk about the pandemic after that
2: sure um, we are a an agency uh, based company. That's how we started. Meaning that there's a lot of ad agencies um, out there, big ones, WB Donor and and Gray Kirk Van Zandt and Eisner and all, all over the country. Well, in Baltimore, there was uh, five really big agencies, and so they would contact me to do bids on uh, commercials and uh, corporate videos and and such. And so we would be doing, um, higher end, uh, commercials that you would see, not, not local commercials for like Joe's carpet, but, uh, you know, higher end stuff. And so that's how I started, um, my own company was clients, uh, would contact me and I, I would just, uh, work with them. I would not solicit. Matter of fact, I've never had to solicit work. I've never put ads in, in the paper or anything like that because of just the, uh, uh, the industry that we are in, it's, it's who you know, who you trust, and so people would just pass my name around. And uh, for 10 years, I worked for the Baltimore Ravens uh, doing a, a TV show for them um, called Wired, where we would wire a, a, a with a microphone somebody during practice the entire week and then during the game, and then we'd put together all their highlights. Um, I worked for the Orioles for several years doing a, a TV show for them And uh, I started getting um, uh, bigger clients, a lot of uh, stuff through Shock Trauma, which is a uh, a major uh, trauma hospital here in Baltimore, and uh, LifeBridge and and a lot of health stuff like that. And one of my uh, really uh, wonderful clients is uh, Broadway Across America. And um, when a play would come to a city, be it Houston, Orlando, and Baltimore, Phoenix, um, they would have a commercial to promote that play. And I was doing those commercials in uh, about 27 different cities um, right out of my uh, facility, which is just another building in my, uh, on my property. And so um, I, I was doing a, a lot of uh, uh, commercials and industrials. But the one thing that we really excelled at is the, the creative side. Uh, people would come to us and they would like, we want to do something, but we don't know what you know can you come up with a you know a plan or or an, an option and if you you know the tagline for our company is a uh, a rare medium well done and so th- that is yeah that's that's kind of where we we really have excelled and um you know as the industry changed and websites uh you know became prominent we started helping design them and, and then there was the SEO search engine optimization and and the market changes uh so much meaning technology. You know, we went from linear to nonlinear, um, and, and now there's so many different video sides out there that uh, um, the competition has uh, just become overbearing sometimes. But um, we we really had a, a good run for a long time. Uh, we were we didn't have a ton of competition uh, in what we were doing, and I even opened up a. A kind of a a branch sister company called the Beller Group that just handled all the medical stuff we were doing um, had an unbelievable opportunity. This sounds kind of gross, but we recorded video, an entire face transplant at the University of Maryland um, Medical Center. Uh, a thirty six hour operation, and it was just fascinating uh, to see the technology of what they can do. Well we videotaped that whole process and we made uh, learning videos and, and stuff that uh, they've used all around the world. and uh, wow. so it, it's, it's, yeah it's been a very interesting uh, I just convinced myself that what we were shooting was the Hollywood special effect. Uh, you know, you you had to. I was going to say, people... I don't
1: know if I could have stood watching. That. Yeah,
2: I mean, I've obviously so you have to if you're like...
1: videotaping it. But how did? Yeah, how did you do that?
2: Like, did it ever matter? I we, guess. Well, a little bit, and we had to be. You know, we were wearing protective. You know, all the PPE and the the whole bunny suit, and we had to. You know, clean our equipment at nauseum. We couldn't just walk around. I was on. I was on like a uh, little pedestal on a tripod, so I was shooting straight down over doctor's shoulders, and, uh, you know, they were, you know, bumping into me the whole time, and um, it was just mm-hmm. it was just truly, truly a fascinating experience. And we've shot some other uh, surgeries as well, which are equally fascinating, but this one was uh, the first time it had ever happened at this uh, hospital, and the, the surgeon, uh, Dr. Edward Rodriguez, he since moved up to... Uh, New York and he's done several other uh face transplants. But it it was very uh um, I I some words don't even describe people are like, Did you throw up? Did you you know did have right. yeah, and because, all this sort of stuff. And like oh I said, God. I'm look I'm looking through the lens of my camera. I'm not just standing there, you know, watching this happen. So I'm just saying, Wow, this is a great Hollywood effect. You know, these effect guys are amazing that right. they can make this look like this and so uh, and and that's just you know that was just one thing. So um, um, we okay. you know in the past we haven't we don't do weddings and we don't do those types of uh, videos. It's it's it was n- more of a high end uh you know commercial creative type stuff. And uh, I thoroughly in- enjoy it. It's different every single day. You have no idea what you're gonna what you're gonna shoot, what you're gonna edit, you know what you're gonna write. I write a lot of commercials and. And uh, and like I said, sometimes people just contact us and they say, we just want a concept, come up with a concept or a tagline or or things like that. And that's the funny side um, of television. You know, years ago, I was in an edit suite and I was working with this uh, producer from Chicago and he was much older and he said, he was telling me he's been in this business for, you know, 30 some years and I just... I don't know why. And I said, well, have you done something that I would know? And he goes, well, I'm the guy who invented scrubbing bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> scrubbing and bubbles, I cracked up yeah. laughing. I said, well, let oh, me shake goodness. your hand. I said, right? many times I've laughed at those scrubbing bubble commercials. And that was his thing. And so I was always impressed with with that. You know, you, Gail, you're a creative person as well. And you know that, you know, I'll see a commercial on TV now that I think is really funny, or and then I'm like, I would have loved to have been in the room when they created this to hear all the funny stuff that went on in the creation of this commercial. The ideas they didn't use, you know, were probably just as hilarious. But this is the one that, you know, that the client bought. And so um, I I just really look forward to that.
1: So how has the pandemic then um, affected uh, that part of your business?
2: Well, in, in one line, it, it kicked it in the teeth. Uh, overnight, we, uh, we just went from being very busy to having absolutely nothing on the books. Um, Broadway completely shut down and went away. And I don't know when they're opening again. It's, um, it might be in the middle of next year. Or so uh, all, of those, uh, all of those commercials went away. And sadly, a lot of the people that I worked with have gone away. They've either been furloughed or let go or they went and got other jobs because it's just that that entire industry just shut down. Um, A lot of uh, the corporate people um, took all of their budgets that they were going to have for, you know, communications and marketing, and they, you know, they put that in payroll and to try to keep their companies going. So um, a lot of the extraneous money that would have been used to create stuff just went away. And every now and then, something very interesting happens in our, in our industry. And I, and I said before when I was saying about nonlinear and linear, I should explain that. Um, linear, when I first started editing in this business, it was on tape. And you couldn't cut the tape. So if I was making a 30-second commercial and 15 seconds in, the client says, you know what? I don't like that shot. Let's take that shot just completely out and move all the other shots up to replace that. Well, you couldn't just cut the tape and take that shot out. You needed to take the shot that was going to happen next and reedit it where the previous one would be. And then you'd ripple. And so to do that in a professional editing suite at that time might take six hours. Wow. Well, now you, now you have nonlinear editing systems where I can just click on something and then just hit my delete button And it just deletes that and pulls everything up. And so the industry changed to the fact that something that would take six hours now literally takes a second. And when, when that happened, obviously it changed the industry drastically. Well, now what's the big word that everybody uses when they're trying to communicate with anybody in their business, it's called zoom. And so everybody's doing zoom conferences. And I've had clients that you know, before the pandemic, we're like, wow, we want to make a, a really cool marketing video or something, um, uh, you know, that we can share with all of our employees, whatever. Well, now they just have a giant Zoom conference and somebody shares their computer and they make a, you know, glorified PowerPoint and they just throw it right up there and they're like, we're fine with this. And I'm, you know, I'm dying a slow death. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, so that whole industry. Uh, you know, went away, and uh, and it's just been rippling. And and I know you've seen commercials on TV where people are using their cell phones to make the commercials. And your cell oh, phones yeah. have gotten so much better with HD video. And um, um, another Baltimore hero, Mike Rowe, uh, from the Discovery oh, yeah. Channel, just did. Yeah, well, he just did a remake of his Dirty Jobs uh, show called a uh, Road Trip or I saw that. Trip. That's great. And he shot all of his stand-ups with his iPhone, and they had footage of him actually doing that, and um, um, I-, I can't compete with that. You know, we have these mm. big, high-end cameras, and, um, you know, if somebody can shoot something on their iPhone, why would they want this? Now, iPhone doesn't have great audio, um, but eventually they'll figure out how to put a microphone or a wireless on that mm-hmm. or something, I can, I can imagine. So the industry has changed it so much, I don't know how it's going to affect us when this Thing finally ends. I'm assuming, you know, we will do work and animation for for these types of things. And I have been contacted to make Zoom backgrounds for for people and and, and industries and such like that. But um, it's it's still a giant question mark with is how this industry will bounce back.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because some people have said um, in their businesses and very similar to to yours. That they've developed even better ways then because of Zoom to cut costs in the aftermath um, of the soft reopening that we've had um, in our nation recently um, and a more effective way to do business because of Zoom. So some people have said, you know what, I realize I don't need to lease this building now. So so now that we're a soft reopening, (laughs) they're just staying with what they've been doing through the pandemic because it's cost effective and it's worked and a lot of people like it. It's, it's a lot quicker. They don't have to actually go anywhere. <laughs> so some people are finding that is working for them, but when um, you're in a um, in-person style um, type of industry, and that really is the fun part of the creative part of the industry um, is to go on location and shoot. Yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult, but but one thing I know about you is that you always have a plan B or you always you because you're so creative, you always find um an alternative way to um to be creative and provide for your family. So I want you to talk about what you told me um that inspired you, um, to get healthier while you were going through this pandemic. I don't know about all of you. I I gained the, the I think they call it the COVID 10 or COVID-15, that was certainly me. I'm working on that. So tell me about what you decided to do and how you've um, created a little sustainable business for yourself, because it's just amazing to me.
2: Well, I tell you, you know, when the COVID first hit, um, I and a a couple of my friends and I discussed this after the fact, we all kind of had the same thing. I'm not going to shave until this thing is over. (laughs) And so I started growing a beard and uh, because of my advanced age, it was coming in white. And so I hit stages and I'm like, wow, I look like Kenny Rogers. You know, this thing better end soon. And then I was like, wow, I look like duck dynasty, this thing better end soon. And then, then I'm getting auditions to try out for ZZ top. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's time (laughs) to go in a different direction here because I'm looking pretty grizzly. So um, I shaved everything off, and then I started, like, working out, and I started doing something completely different, and I found this really nice health plan, and, I, you know, I, I couldn't really run out to fast food restaurants or anything because of the, you know, the pandemic, so I ended up losing 22 pounds. Mm. and and i got in i got in really good shape and uh, and i was very i was very happy with myself because even though i told you earlier my main goal in life was to be a professional baseball player my main goal in life has been to walk on the beach without wearing a shirt because i've <laughs> always had a i've always had a weight problem my whole life and because i was a baseball catcher catchers were stocky and and husky and you know those types of words So i was always you know 20 pounds more than I should have been. So um, so I, I, I really hit this goal. And in a related story, I, I've i read this many times that men, when they hit a midlife crisis, they do one of two things. One, they go out and they buy the red sports car. And they start reliving a portion of their life that they, they always wanted to do and they never did to to, like, redefine their youth. But the second is to garden. So to I like garden? the gardening I route.
1: I haven't heard that.
2: Yep. Buy the sports car or start a garden. Now, I've always had a garden, but it was always just fun stuff. You know, grow a couple uh, tomatoes or banana peppers or, you know, cucumbers like this. Well, I really like spicy food. So um, last year I started playing around with this and I, and I planted about 10 jalapeno plants. And I got a really good bounty, and so this year I wanted to work on that. So I planted about 30 of these plants, and jalapenos were coming in like gangbusters. And so I started, I started canning, and I started making all these different things. I have this, uh, I call it volcano salsa, which is. Um, Everything's uh, from my in it, from my garden, and it's very spicy. It's got jalapenos. I'm, I made jalapenos. I made banana peppers, um, and I was started pickling all this stuff. Uh, lots of spaghetti sauce. Well, I started playing with pepper jelly, and because I like the spicy, but I also like the sweet. And so, uh, and this is another thing I've discussed uh, with men at great length is. I, there was a point where I was a very salty lover, meaning if I went to a party, I'd be all over the potato chips and all the salty snacks that are on the table. But I hit this point a couple of years ago where I went to the sweet. So now I'm looking for the cupcakes and the cookies and the dips and, and you know, the, the chocolate fondues and things like that. I, I, so I wanted to put a sweet thing in. So I started making pepper jelly. And uh, a friend of mine has a store in historic Sykesville called Revive, and she uh, revives old furniture, and she has some really, really interesting uh, things down there, and I was telling her about it, and she says, well, you should bring some in, and I'll sell it at my store, and I said, oh, all right, we'll give that a shot, so I, I made some pretty labels, and um, on the top, I, put a, I bought some print of jalapenos and, and screwed the jar lids over top of that, and it looked really cute. Well, she sold them, she sold a case the next day, and she says, you need more of this. So I, I have gone in the pepper jelly business. And so do production IW. Yes. And so I, I've made probably 30 cases uh, that she has sold. And um, so this year um, I've already made, um, I'm in the middle of the canning now. I think I have 10 cases, uh, which is there's 12 in a case, sitting on my dining room table right now along with some volcano salsa uh, and um, some banana peppers, and um, and I've been selling th- this jelly, and I'm having such a kick at it, and uh, it's really good. Some of it's really thick. So you eat it like jelly, and some of it is kind of like people have told me they use it as a glaze. They pour it over a roast mm. or over or cream ham. cheese or, yeah, or a ham and, you know, exactly, so um, and uh, it's it's got a really good kick. There's seeds floating in it. I didn't A lot of people recommend take the seeds out when you work with jalapenos, and I'm like, no way. And I'm just I put everything. I cut the stem off, and that's it. The whole banana (laughs) pepper goes in. I mean uh, jalapeno. So I've been having a ton of fun with the pepper jelly.
1: It's pretty amazing to me how everything in your life just kind of – and I think that is just really how God works, Neil. I think that um, nothing is really by accident. Like how you were saying in your in your earlier career and everything, like you're just in the editing room and you're talking about this, and all of a sudden it, you know, your conversation about you know your Baltimore accent turns into um, a bestseller in Baltimore called Missing Pine Park. <laughs> I mean, it's, I just think that that's no accident there. It's not a coincidence. There's no coincidences in life, and so I just think you know when life hands you lemons, make pepper jelly. That, there you
0: go.
1: Just, <laughs> I just you know it's just. Um, I think it's great that you're innovative enough and you're willing to like um, step out there a little bit, do something a little different. But um, one of the reasons when I heard the story, I wanted to bring you on because our other guests have done the same thing. And I'm just amazed at the creativity of people. And I'm very inspired by that. Tony Tynes, our, light, our lighting director, she's award-winning um, on Broadway and off Broadway. traveled the world doing. Um, she's very, very talented, uh, uh, technical director and lighting lighting designer. And she has a dog-walking business, and she does um, Reiki. Um, hand healing side business that's very successful and that sustains her and her family. So I'm just real um, impressed with, um, with people who can come up with these creative ideas that's fun and it inspires them and makes their life happy and sustains their family. So I'm just inspired by that. And um, I just think it's a great story. And I'm very proud of you for being able to lose the weight to, um, to stay positive and stay healthy. And didn't you also say and we're about to wrap up, but didn't you also say you were thinking now about being a health coach?
2: Yes, I, I've been thinking about that. I've I've had a lot of people who of course you can't be a health coach and then hand somebody a jar of pepper jelly no. that you know has a, <laughs> a pound of sugar in it. So so that's that's a whole different side. But um I've I've had a lot of people who are interested in, you know, the journey that I've had and and, like you were saying in this pandemic, some people have uh, let themselves go a little bit anyway and uh, um, I've just reached that point in life that my knees were hurting, and i didn't want to i didn 't want to be falling apart i've had some friends of mine who've had major major uh, surgeries and now i 've had you know rotator cuff and i' had a torn quad from catching, and so i 've had these types of surgeries, but um, um I walk every day um, and and I just I feel better and I just feel better. And, and, and you know, you, uh, thank you for your kind words about, uh, you know, this innovative thing. Life has to be fun. It, it just does. And I've always I've always gone out of my way to have fun and be fun. And I know we've talked about this before. I could not stand it in my life if I'm standing there pumping gas and there's somebody standing next to me pumping gas and we're not saying anything. So I always would talk to people and greet people and try to make people laugh every day because it's it's so important. And, and you know, you mentioned God. I have feel like that was one part of my role was to make others feel good and so I thought, wow, a health coach, this would be a, a, a perfect thing for me if unless the production business really, you know, all of a sudden took a turn and kicked off again. Um, I, I've been talking to some people about it. And so I'm thinking about doing that. I, I'm never just going to sit down and say, woe is me. And if I do, it'll be eating a jar of pepper jelly.
1: <laughs> now, I can't picture you ever doing that. I'll come by and, um, and um, talk you out of that. Um oh, if I ever see that if I ever see that. Yeah, we're not gonna let that happen. And um so I just wanted to um thank you again for your time. Um as we say in the industry, Neil, that's a wrap, uh, for today's program. And I just appreciated your time with us today and your willingness to be candid about how the p- pandemic has affected your life and your journey as it has so many others and um but doesn't life just bring us such amazing surprises? That's what I that's what I really love about um... it, it's,
2: it really does. It really does, and you know, it, 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 well, I always go through that thing. Somebody is much worse than I, and you That's know, so truth. I, I, I just do. I'll never feel sorry for myself, and it's uh, you know, my dad always, you know, if you want something, go get it, go get it. And so um, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with the canning industry.
1: Well, uh we're praying all the best for you and your family and for Kit and Caboodle productions to come up and running and and who's to say even uh we'll just say when it when it um you know, kicks back into gear, you still have all these different side businesses. You can you can add a health care to, to your um kit and caboodle and your pepper jelly on the side. So
0: There you
1: uh, go. Yeah. So Kit and Caboodle Productions is up and running. No matter what part of the country or universe you're from, Kit and Caboodle can help you keep your business thriving with all of your video production needs. For more information, please visit his website at com. Kit and Caboodle, a rare medium well done. I don't know about you, but I'm placing my order now ahead for the holidays for Neil Beller's Pepper Jelly and Volcano Salsa. To place your order, simply email Neil at neilbeller at gmail.com with the words pepper jelly in the subject line. On social media, you can follow Kit and Caboodle Productions on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, respectively. The Up to Me Magazine show will be back next Saturday morning at 10 a.m. with another exciting guest to inspire and educate you. So mark your calendars and meet me here at the Gabby G. Cafe. And on behalf of Mel D. and myself and the entire cast of Up to Me Radio, this is Gabby G. saying take five this week and be inspired to ask yourself about your own Up to Me journey. Then come back and share it with me because you know what? It's your life, your journey. It's up to you. Take us out, Mel D., as we listen to our fabulous theme song, Wake Up, by Blessed Love Gospel Reggae Band.
0: It's up to me to be the very best I can be. And it's up to you.